Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, and welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 170, Discover New Authors with Author Imprints. This is a perfect topic for our Underbridge podcast reading challenge that we're having this year. If you haven't signed up yet, we have a lot of information at unabridgedpod.com slash reading challenge 2021. We would love for you to join us. It is a low pressure challenge and we have some spots on social media where you can chat about different ideas for ways to fill in the different categories. And this is one of those author imprints. So hopefully today's episode will help you find some good reads. All right. To start off our episode, we are going to do our bookish check-in. Ashley, what are you reading? I'm currently reading Angeline Bouley's Firekeeper's Daughter. And I am listening to this one thanks to Libro FM and also reading it from NetGalley. This one came out in the middle of March and I am so excited about this book. I haven't read a lot of it yet. I'm probably like a quarter of the way in. And I think the things I love about it, the main character, Donis Fontaine, is a native teen and she has a lot of things going on in her life. One of the things is that the Fontaine side of her family is the side that she got her last name from, but she also has the firekeeper side of her family, which is the Ojibwe side of her family. And those two conflicting family parts make it hard for her in in both locations. She has trouble on the reservation because she doesn't quite fit in, but she also has trouble outside of it because she doesn't quite fit in there. So she's struggling to balance those parts of herself. And the fact that she did not get the firekeeper name is also a really interesting component of the book that because of that, she's not on the tribal record and therefore she's not an actual member of the tribe. And it's interesting in the book to see how that plays out for her and it impacts her life. And so all of that is just really richly discussed. So in the beginning, Donna's her uncle has died and her grandmother has had a stroke shortly after her uncle's death. And so she is reeling from all of that. She's trying to decide what that means for her future and what she's going to do about college. And so she's making some different decisions based on those changes that have occurred in her life. She's trying hard to support her mom, who is struggling to navigate all of that as well. And Along comes Jamie Johnson, who is a hockey player. Hockey is really big in their community, and he is new to the area and has gotten everyone's attention, and she is trying very hard not to have a crush on him, but is also developing these feelings for him as she gets to know him a little bit better. So there's a lot going on early on in the book. I've just gotten to a really significant plot event that I do not want to give spoilers, but I can see that that's really going to impact what happens next for Donna's. But I think what I really love about it, in addition to just a great story, is that it's that exploration that Bu Lee is doing of 
what it means to be a native teen and what the ramifications are of that, like what is like just in daily life and going to powwows and being connected to the, the native community and to the Ojibwe tribe, but also some of the harder things to navigate as far as both life on the reservation and life outside of it. And I think all of that is just really richly done. And so, yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. I think Donis is a great character. She is strong, but also unsure about some of the things that are going to happen for her in the future. And she's trying to figure all that out. And so I just think, yeah, I'm really loving it. I was excited to see this one come out and I'm really excited to be reading it. So again, that's Angeline Bouley's Firekeeper's Daughter. I really love that book. I just think it is so powerful. Jen has a great review of that one at unabridgedpod.com. So you can check out her thoughts as well. <laughs> All right, Sarah, what are you reading? Well, I am still on my nonfiction kick. I have been reading tons of nonfiction lately, and I am now reading Michael Moss's Hooked food, free will, and how the food giants exploit our addictions. Michael Moss, he won the Pulitzer in 2010. He's an investigative journalist. He had a very wildly popular book called Salt, Sugar, Fat that came out a few years ago. And he's done just a lot of work in researching our food, kind of the progression from eating whole foods into eating more processed foods. And in this particular book, he is examining the way that he's, he's using addiction research to examine the way in which food companies exploit our addictive tendencies as human beings and with food. So, so far it is super interesting. He's an excellent writer. I got this book from Random House. They sent it to me and I'm in this moment in my life where I'm just, I, maybe I need to go back to school or something, but I just am like thirsty for information and for informing myself about all the things that matter to me. So this one, uh, I've always been interested in nutrition and the source and where our food comes from. And so this is perfect for me at the moment and I'm really enjoying it. So I will report on it. Maybe I'll write a review once I finish it, but I really, I'm enjoying it so far. That sounds fascinating, Sarah. Yeah, it really does. Yes. Have you read um, Fast Food Nation? I can't remember the author right now, Eric, somebody. Yeah, no, I have not read that. I watched the documentary. Okay. Yeah, so I think that is fascinating. And I've also read... The Omnivore's Dilemma, mm -hmm. which is a fascinating and terrifying read. As I haven't well. read that one. Fast Food yeah. Nation, I really liked. I mean, I thought it was a little, it's pretty dense. Like there's a lot of information, but it was really good. It was fascinating and horrifying also. But yeah, that's how The Omnivore's Dilemma is. It is excellent reading, but it's definitely, it's difficult reading because mm -hmm. it's very dense and it has a lot of statistics and, but it's really interesting if you're interested in knowing about, you know, your food sources and GMOs and all of that type of stuff. It's all covered mm -hmm. extensively. <laughs> so Jen, what are you reading now? I am listening to a memoir. It is Jesse Thistle's From the Ashes, My Story of Being Métis, Homeless, and Finding My Way. And this is, I'm reading this for a buddy read with Read with Tony. Her reads are always so good. The conversations are excellent. And I, I'm not very far yet. I will say it is great. It is gripping and it is horrifying. So 
there's a brief part at the beginning where we see Thistle as a teenager and then it flashes back until he's three years old in the flashback and he has two older brothers. The oldest is five. So they're very close together. And their mother was, I forget if she was 15 or 16 when she met their father, who was apparently this very charismatic man. And he convinced her to marry him. And they have these boys. And then he was a drug addict. And she eventually decided to leave him. She left him and then was having a really difficult time making things on her own. And so he comes along and says, let me take the boys for a couple of months. And she lets him. And then he basically neglects them completely. He'll leave them for days alone. This five, four, and three-year-old, he tells them where to hide if somebody comes to the house. So he sets this thing up. There's a vent that they're supposed to hide in and he doesn't bring them food. He, it's just awful. And yeah, so eventually they are taken, social services finds out that this is happening and they're taken in. And then I'm at that part right now. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I know it's not good because of where the story started. So again, it's brilliantly written. There is a lot where Jesse is talking about his heritage. So his mom is Cree and the native heritage, this takes place in Canada. The native heritage is a bit, very big part of her life, but for her, his dad, that is not a big part of his life. And there's a lot of conflict there that you see, you see his grandparents eventually. And there's some conflict there with his mom. So you see what being Métis has meant for him and the way that he's struggling with it. It actually reminds me of what Ashley was saying about Firekeeper's daughter, the way navigating those dual communities can be so challenging. And at this point, they're so young that they're only vaguely understanding what's happening, but they can tell that there's a conflict and that there are some hard feelings between their his paternal grandparents and his mom. So I'm hooked, but I'm a little apprehensive because in stories like that, you know, it's going to be a long journey until we find our way out, but it's beautifully written. He reads it, which I know we all always appreciate it. So that is Jesse Thistle's From the Ashes, my story of being Métis, homeless, and finding my way. That sounds so great, Jen. I definitely want to read that one. That's great. All right. Well, we are going to transition now to our imprint. So we decided today to focus on one author imprint. We are fans of Rick Riordan. I have to say, I've read one of his series, but my boys have devoured all of them and the graphic novel versions of those same books. So we have a lot of Rick Riordan in our bookshelves here at my house. But one thing that I really admire about Riordan himself is that he has started this imprint. And I want to just read a little quote from his website because he just articulates his goals much more clearly than I could try to fumble my way through. So he says, Our goal is to publish great middle grade authors from underrepresented cultures and backgrounds to let them tell their own stories inspired by the mythology and folklore of their own heritage. Over the years, I've gotten many questions from my fans about whether I might write about various world mythologies, but in most cases, I knew I wasn't the best person to write those books. Much better, I thought, to use my experience and my platform at Disney to put the spotlight on other great writers who are actually from those cultures and know the mythologies better than I do. 
let them tell their own stories, and I would do whatever I could to help those books find a wide audience. He says, for me, this is a way to give back for my success. I've been very lucky in my career. I want to use my platform to help other writers get a wider audience. I also want to help kids have a wider variety of great books to choose from, especially those that deal with world mythology and for all kinds of young readers to see themselves reflected in the books that they read. I just really love his intention there and the way he talks about this, that we talk all the time, this idea that kids need mirrors and also windows. And I think that the Rick Riordan imprint provides both of those in a really authentic and approachable way. Yeah, I didn't know a lot about imprints before the, before this one came to light. And Jen was sharing about how much she loved it. And then I've you know, as we've been, particularly for the challenge, as we've been looking more at what imprints are out there, I really am seeing the power of those and the way that they can really help people find new authors they wouldn't discover otherwise, and also giving authors a place to tell their story and to be part of the platform and get their books out there. So I think it's really cool. And I love the way that he sets those goals here. The way that I learned about imprints is from the TV show Younger. (laughs) 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 I didn't know what I knew. I had never heard that before. And then, but I mean, it it did help me learn that because they are in a publishing house and they have all these different imprints. And so, (laughs) so I was not aware of it, but then when I watched that show, then I was, I knew what we were talking about when we talked about imprints because I had seen that, but it's, I think it's interesting the way that imprints work. And now that I know that have that knowledge, it's interesting to see how different imprints publish not similar in necessarily stories, but similar in like with Rick Riordan, he is publishing people who he feels that need to tell their own stories and that type of thing. And I noticed that imprints like them, some of them might be like celebrity, you know, books or whatever. I just have noticed that a lot of times imprints are, you can, if you like one type of book, you might be able to go to an imprint and see other types of books like that. Yeah. I think it can be a great way to find new authors Mm -hmm. and, but have some confidence that it's going to be something that you enjoy, which is always comforting. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And there are some great ones out there. So we have a bookish fave about other imprints and there are some great ones and there's some good ones coming out. So the Yoon's Nicola and David Yoon have one. They have not published their first book from their imprint yet, but that's coming next year but I love both of them. So I cannot wait to see what books they've chosen to, to publish from their imprint. So yeah, there, there are some really interesting ones and there are a few. Yeah. E.L. James just got her (laughs) own imprint I saw. So yeah, I mean, again, all right, well, let's dive into our Rick Riordan imprint Rex. So, and I should say that His imprint is called Rick Riordan Presents. And at the beginning of every book, he has this little introduction where he explains, he he just sort of launches the book and explains a little bit about it. But I think it's really engaging. He's definitely writing for that middle grade audience. And I think he has such a good sense of that target audience. Again, my boys just love these because I think he has a sense of the types of stories that kids want to read. So, all right. Well, Sarah, would you want to share your book that you read? Sure. I read Sal and Gabby Break the Universe by Carlos Hernandez. 
And this, I did speak about this on a bookish check-in a while back, but this is about Sal, who is from a Cuban American family, and he is an aspiring magician. He and his family have just moved to Florida and he's getting acclimated to a new school. It's a kind of a charter school and for performing arts. So it's perfect because they really support, you know, creativity and being who you want to be, which he, like I said, he wants to be a magician, but he also has this ability to reach into the multiverse so that it becomes particularly helpful when he is doing his magic so he can he can summon things from other places within the multiverse however when he does that it leaves a hole so sometimes they close up quickly and sometimes they close up slowly so you can see that that could cause some issues And so that's Sal and what he's about, but he meets a girl named Gabby who is the, (laughs) who's kind of like runs the school. She's like, she's the president of like student council, that type of thing. And she and he become friends and get into some predicaments together. So there's that. And then there is some other commentary on family dynamics and storylines that deal with that. If you are having a middle grade student or your own child read this book, there there is some death and Gabby has a little brother who is in the NICU and there is a storyline that surrounds that. So if you have sensitive kids that you are thinking about giving this to, just keep that in mind. I just feel like I can't not (laughs) mention that. I thought the book was great. I wish that part I felt like was could be a little heavy for students or children, but it's really funny for the most part. And Sal and Gabby are just so such wonderful characters. Their friendship is really in the way that they become friends is just really beautiful. I love the school that they go to. So I mean, overall, I think it's great. And I think when I spoke about it a while back, I said that it really seemed like it could be part of a series because Sal is just such an awesome character. And you can just see with his abilities, how he could get into a lot of like sticky situations. And it is in fact, at the moment, it is that is book one of two. And so there's another book that just came out in 2020, I believe. So it is also so if you have a student or a child who really likes it, it's a natural progression to read the next one. So it could really encourage reading and reading a series. So overall, I thought it was excellent. And I actually laughed out loud and the audio was great. So that's another thing to think about. That one sounds so good. That's one I haven't gotten to yet, but I definitely want to after your review. Yeah, that sounds (laughs) awesome. Ashley, what about your book? So I borrowed from Jen one that I've been wanting to read for quite a while. It's Kwame Mambalia's Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky. I've been really excited to read this one. I knew I had heard it's been recommended from quite a few sources and everyone just loved it. And similar to a lot of what Sarah said about there's a good balance between important things that are happening that are significant, but also there's a lot of humor and there's a lot of richly drawn characters who are a lot of fun to discover. And there's a nice connection between what's happening. There's a reality that we're anchored in in the beginning and then you get into the more fantastical 
world where all these mythical creatures are. And that works really well too. And I think makes it more accessible for younger readers who are still acclimating potentially to, you know, moving between like realistic fiction and fiction that relies on mythology and is more of fantasy. And so this one focuses on Tristan Strong, and he is, in the very beginning, he is going to spend time with his grandparents in Alabama, and his best friend has died in an accident, and he was present when that happened. So he is grieving and is trying to find his way forward, and he has the journal of his best friend, Eddie, and the journal glows green and weird things happen. And so he is mystified by what is going on with this journal. And also the adults in the world don't seem to have any idea that anything strange is happening. And so he's further bewildered by what's happening. Well, then shortly after he gets to his grandparents' house, he's warned about the forest near them and the bottle tree is there and is told to stay away from the bottle tree and it, it, it's kind of that idea of like a thin place. And so this idea that there is a connection between there and other places and that he should stay away. Well, then the journal is suddenly commandeered by a tiny little doll who <laughs> is full of sap and is taking it with her. And her name is Gum Baby. And she only talks about herself in third person. And she is hilarious. I love Gun Baby so much. Oh my gosh. He is such a great character. And so she is bound and determined to complete her mission and to take this journal with her. Well, Tristan, this is his last thing that he has from his best friend who he absolutely loved and he is determined to keep it. And so a conflict ensues and that conflict results in them going out and fighting about the journal and it rips a hole as the title suggests it rips a hole in the sky and he winds up in a mythical place where there's a whole nother world and so he's ripped a hole in the sky (laughs) and finds himself in this totally different world where all of the gods of folklore that his nana had his grandmother had always told him about are alive and It's just so, it's fascinating and it's really fun, but some of the things that, and so from there, he and Gumbaby become unlikely allies and start working with some (laughs) other, begrudgingly start working with each other and also with some other great characters to try to fix the hole in the sky and also to bring about the end of this kind of curse that's happening that's affecting all of the land and so they're on a quest to to end that and to do that they're going to have to trick some of the gods and they're also going to have to do some negotiating and some other things and all of it is really hard and one thing that Tristan is really struggling with is that he doesn't feel like he's good enough. He struggles with that as a boxer. So he's been bothered about that with boxing. His family has the motto, Strongs keep punching. And he feels like he's not living up to what his dad and his grandfather want him to be as a boxer. And so he's just kind of plagued by this feeling that 
he is not enough and that he's not going to be able to accomplish the tasks. And so this really challenges him because suddenly he's having to be at the center of a lot of this work to bring about a resolution. And so I think the things that I loved, I absolutely love it. It celebrates African folklore and there are a lot of characters who come from different folk tales. The Br'er Fox, Br'er Rabbit are in there, but also High John and John Henry. And so you're getting a lot of these iconic mythical creatures and people who are important in mythology but who become very real in the story. And so I love all of that and seeing them as complex beings who don't always do the right thing or who are grumpy. And Anansi is a huge part of the story also is like a non-present part in the beginning that they're trying to, they think they're going to need to kind of trick Anansi into helping them. And so like all of that is, just really rich. And I loved that. And then the other thing that I really thought was amazing about the book is the focus on the power of stories. A lot of the central quest has to do with the ability of stories to bring about change and to be alive and to keep lives going also like to, you know, like with Eddie to, if you're telling his story, it's the idea that he lives on through a story. And so all of that I thought was just really richly done and such a great thing for a middle grade reader to be thinking about is just how powerful those stories that we tell ourselves and that we tell each other can be and the way that those honor our traditions and our heritage and our connection to other people. And so I thought all of that was really great. So it was a lot of fun. Like Sarah said about death, there is the death of Eddie. It's, it is upfront and in a non-catastrophic way in a lot of ways, but you know, it is definitely something that he is dealing with is that that has happened right. You know, prior to the book starting. So again, that's Kwame Mambalia's Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky, and it does have a second, a sequel. I don't know if Jen's already read that one. I have not, no. Tristan Strong Destroys the World is the next in the series. So like Sarah said before, I think that if, you know, that's great for readers too, that if you enjoy the first, it's really nice when there's a series. I really love that one. I think it's so good. And those touchstones from American folklore, I thought it was so interesting to see them woven into the West African mythology. I thought that was great to just see it all connected. Yeah. I really want to read it for Gum Baby. (laughs) I loved her character. I mean, she was just, and the banter between Tristan and Gum Baby was just really hilarious throughout. And so, yeah, I loved all of that. And just like that power can come from unlikely places and that people and creatures who don't seem to have any worth, particularly in an epic fight, can do really remarkable things. I think there's a lot of that in the story, too. That's really great. Jen, what about you? What's your recommendation? So I read Yoon Ha Lee's Dragon Pearl. And I had read Lee's series that begins with Nine Fox Gambit, which is high science fiction. It is incredibly math-based science fiction. So I was a little taken aback to see that he had written 
this book for middle grade readers. But it is it is also sci-fi and it is this mix of Korean mythology set in space. So it's this really interesting blend of mythology and science fiction. And this one focuses on a 13-year-old girl named Min. And she is from a family of fox spirits. And basically, they have this ability to do charms that can influence people to behave in certain ways. And they can also shapeshift. But Min's mother does not want her children to use any of their powers because there's some prejudice against foxes. So this is a space that includes dragons and tigers and all of these beings who walk around in human form that can transform if they need to or want to. And they are all higher in the hierarchy than the foxes. So Min's mother is just adamant that Min should not learn to use her magic at all. But of course she does because she's a rebellious 13 year old. And so she finds ways to try to practice it when her mom's not around. So this is really well established at the beginning of the story. They live on this little planet named Jinju and Min is, you know, undergoing rebellion. She misses her brother Jun a lot. Jun joined the space forces and is really invested in exploring space and wants to travel the universe basically. And also is this hard worker who really wants to feel like he is giving back and contributing to society. So one day Min is in her room and she hears someone come to the door of her home with her mother. And it's this investigator who says that John has deserted his post and gone in search of this mythical thing called the dragon pearl that has the ability to create life and is super powerful and everybody wants to find it. But Jun somehow thought that he had a hint as to where it might be. And he and a group of friends abandoned their post. And the investigator wants to know if his family has heard from him. Min is really frustrated. She tries to tell him that she knows her brother wouldn't do that, that she knows that he wouldn't be swayed by power or the promises of what this dragon pearl could do. But the investigator, of course, does not believe her and thinks that she's just biased. So Min decides that she is going to go and find her brother and just prove that he didn't do this thing that he's accused of doing, of abandoning his post, basically of deserting the mil the space military. And so she uses her charm and her shape-shifting ability to get off of Jinju. And she hops a ride and tries to get to... Jun's spaceship, basically, and try to find him. And, you know, of course, things go awry. And she has all of these adventures along the way. And she meets all of these interesting characters. She has run ons with tigers, again, walking in human form, but tigers and with dragons. And because of her native form as a fox, she can smell when there's another magical creature around or when someone else has done magic. So she's always on the lookout for other people who are doing magic too. So she can try to make sure that she's not caught out. So she has to be really careful to use her magic only in certain ways, because of course hers can be smelled as well. So hopefully you're picking up, it's just this great mix of this science fiction, but then this mythology about the foxes, but then also some of it is the way foxes actually are. So it's this, there are these animal 
focused details that I think Yunha Lee just does this brilliant job of creating this world that is pulling from all of these different storytelling traditions and they're all woven together. And I think it's accessible for middle grade readers. This I will say is the shortest of the books that I've read in the Rick Riordan Presents imprint. And I think that is because it's a little denser than some of the others. I think the science fiction is a little denser than some of the ones that are set in our world. And then they kind of go like in Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky, you start in a world that we can understand. So I think because this one is set in a world that is quite different, it's nice to just get things moving a little more quickly. And it doesn't take quite as long to get into the center of the story. But as with the other ones, there is some death. I don't, this would be a major spoiler, but there is some death. And I think sensitive readers might have some trouble with it. So I think if you're an adult recommending it, you may want to read it so that you know what's coming and you can make a good judgment there. But yeah, I, th- I think it was a great read. And I learned a lot about Korean mythology that I did not know. And I love sci-fi. So it was checking all my boxes. So yeah, that is Yoon Ha Lee's Dragon Pearl. And as far as I know, this is the only one and it didn't end on a big cliffhanger. So I'll be interested to see. I don't know if all of them are planned series or if some of them are going to be standalones or not. Yeah, I I wonder. That sounds great, Jen. I, with Tristan Strong, I felt like this one wrapped up nicely. I just know that the next one's out there, but I did feel like this story had a satisfying ending that felt complete mm-hmm. but I could see how more adventures were also to come yeah, so, yeah. that's the same with mine it was a complete story but I could also see like the way that the characters were built that there there are opportunities for lots of more adventures well I hope that you are inspired to check out Rick Riordan presents if you like middle grade fiction and again if you're just interested in author imprints you can check out unabridgedpod.com and we have some recommendations so if this isn't your cup of tea you can try a different author's imprint all right we're going to end our episode with our give me one and today's topic is hamburger or taco I feel like that's an eternal question uh Ashley which would you pick So I do love both of those, but for sure, actually, this comes up often at our dinner table about if you could only eat one thing for the rest of time, what would the thing be? Tacos are the clear winner for me because they are versatile and you can do a lot of different kinds and we eat them all the time in our house. So can't go wrong with the taco. Sarah, how about you? Yes, I really like both of these items, but I also have to agree with Ashley. Tacos can be, for one thing... They're a vehicle for guacamole, which I'm always here Mm -hmm. for. And the other thing is that you can just use so many different proteins and veggies. And so I think that they're very versatile and I love them. So I'm going to have to go taco. What about you, Jen? Yeah, we're three for three. I will say in our house, hamburgers are also a vehicle for guacamole. So yes, I I feel like that's versatile and I do love hamburgers, but tacos are definitely my favorite. And it's not, I didn't even really hesitate. When I was thinking about my answer, that's a clear favorite for me. So, all right. Well, you can share with us on social media. Do you prefer tacos or hamburgers or something else altogether? You can share. So yeah, thanks for listening and check out unabridgedpod.com for all of our bookish faves. And if you're interested in the reading challenge, that's unabridgedpod.com slash reading challenge 2021. We'd love to have you join us. Thanks. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. 
You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.